Hello, and welcome to another bonus episode of the Radical Thoughts podcast. This episode is a crossover episode, which originally was a live stream for VarnVlog patrons. You can listen to it either as a patron of the Radical Thoughts podcast or as a patron to VarnVlog. In this episode, we discuss the legacy and theory of Jean-Luc Nancy, who passed away recently. We talk specifically about his writings on community, the approaches of French theory, its downsides, as well as some of the interesting questions that he nonetheless raised. Our normal episode is coming out soon on Baudrillard's Book of Fragments. You're listening to 22 Ghosts 3 by Nine Inch Nails, but in a second you'll hear C. Derek Varn and I discuss the theory of community in Jean-Luc Nancy. Welcome to Varn Vlog, and today, well, actually, welcome to Varn Vlog and Radical Thoughts, because this is a crossover. Um, this is a Patreon special for both our channels. Um, so, we're talking about the legacy of John uh, Luke Nancy, who, I will be honest, I am only cursorily familiar with, partly because of a deep allergy to French philosophy that it borderlines on obscurantist, and partly because the first thing I remember learning about Nancy from was his writings on Lacan, which, un- fairly or unfairly, for, for my personal set of biases and heuristics, is almost always the quickest way for me to go, not serious. Um, so... However, I, I did talk to you off air and say that I read The Intruder, which I found to be an oddly moving book, um, which was about – it actually, when you think about the circumstances of that book, given that it's almost 20 years old, the fact that John Luke Nancy just died is kind of amazing. He had a heart transplant and a cancer diagnosis within a year of each other in, the, I think, of the late 90s. Yeah. Um, and that produced that there. book. And I found that book interesting because it was it was personal philosophy that kind of did take things from uh, very advanced forms of, you know, post-68, post-structuralism um, and humanized it in a way that, like, for example, I don't feel like Derrida ever did. Um I also knew that uh, Derrida was a fan of John Luke Nancy, which I get, was usually like, like on my checklist of like enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you'll probably argue, and I think maybe successfully, um, simple demarcations of association like that are a pretty terrible way to actually make philosophical judgments, even if they might be a useful heuristic in what you're going to spend your time reading. And um, when doing research for this to talk to you about it, I I, I did zoom in on um, Nancy's inoperative community work because I was like, that looks interesting. And that does uh, have some real resonances um, with me and some of my frustrations with the way that Marxists talk about um community community operating and and you know and purpose and mission and 
the the way they think uh, uh, teleological orient orientations actually work. Um, and then the other thing that I found interesting in his work, um, just reading for this episode, was his uh, existence as an ontological responsibility in that he seems to be one of the few post-structuralists who really actually still keeps with existentialism in a in probably a more thoroughly worked out way than even the existentialist ever did. Um, but why are you interested in John Luke Nancy other than his death? So, I mean, admittedly, this is kind of an odd, like, topic to do a dual episode on because I'm not by any means, like, a Nancy scholar. Yeah, neither am I. Like, so. <laughs> like, I'm not someone who extensively read him. Um, but he 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 was very, like, interesting to me at a point early on when I was moving leftward, I would say, politically, um, because part of my journey was in college reading uh, doing a lot of this fancy literary theory stuff, learning about 68 and the situationists in a context that was mostly, you know, a media studies context. So we were learning about them as like urbanist theorists and, and artists and, and the spectacle and stuff like that. And then learning through 68, reading about people like Maurice Blanchot and I'm, I'm probably butchering all these, but, um, George Bataille, um, and that led me to reading, an operative community and uh, the other the, the the community kind of books by Nancy because he has a couple there there was a uh, kind of back and forth because uh, he he wrote the inoperative community and then there's a an Angaman book called the coming community um, and then there's a Blanchot book that's like a basically an essay um, called the un, unavowable community and and an inoperable community was the book that really made nancy pretty big as like a figure it was kind of his breakthrough uh the essay that it, it, it takes its title from is kind of was a big deal and it's kicked off this kind of conversation and it was uh that was like one of the big things i think that that when i started thinking about communism it's not just you know a guy with a mustache and a poster on the wall telling you, you know, like, you know, some big brothery kind of shit. Uh, I, I think that one of the big things that like made me take it more seriously was really kind of thinking about like, Oh, like the concept of community is a very difficult concept. And it's really hard to think about what the implications of community means in a, like a real, a real way that isn't just, you know, like, something like oh like you're you're in a family you're in a community or like it's just the people around you that you like or but also yeah. like not the uh not the kind of community stuff that becomes a paper over for like kind of more quote-unquote totalitarian like conceptions of like unity or wholeness or, or something like that and nancy in the work is ha i think has a very interesting kind of little monologue trying to go through this kind of post-68, post-structuralist, post, you know, the USSR is still kind of like around, but it's pretty, like he's 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 writing in, in a milieu where he knows enough of the kind of ultra-gauche to like, you know, know that people aren't 
there's a lot of people that don't really think it's like truly communist or anything. Um, and he's trying to kind of investigate, like, how do we like really think about community when it, when this conception of like community as just some sort of working project with the end, with an end goal that will establish like a common being for all that will just be shared. Like he, he just is very skeptical of that. And I think right. it's a very interesting kind of point to critique because it's a, it's a critique that he, he kind of acknowledges in the piece that he's not entirely sure that he thinks what he's talking about is what Marx really thought, but he also kind of doesn't let, like he also says that he thinks that it, it doesn't let people who just don't like the USSR like off the hook. He's like, no, this is something that's like implicit in a lot of Marxist thought, even people who don't like the USSR. Right. So this idea of, you know, the, What's interesting, actually, because of the Hadagarian associations and because of uh, communitarianism, very few Marxists outside of someone like Christopher Lash uh, talk a lot about community. I mean, even though Marxist organizers are often engaged in community organizing, this is more like uh, a concession to the standard speech of liberal and anarchist um, organizational tactics. But what what the Marxist means by community, I mean, honestly, even what the Marxist means by class is uh, ambivalent, to put it mildly. Like that, there are, there are two. There's almost you know ambivalent in the sense that there's two contradictory notions there that are never even attempted to be reconciled and are just kind of papered over. Um, because on one hand. The Marxist contention that um, the driving force of history is the this kind of division that that is in, organically almost created in communities due to the due to how they organize their production and how usually somebody's on the shit end of that stick uh, would indicate that Marxists don't have a positive view of community because they you know um, to to the way sociologists often will talk about it is like. Marxists believe in some, you know, innate conflict theory, um, which I think is a misunderstanding. But still, like, I, I get if you think class struggle is the is the is the engine of history, um, and that is and that is something that is internal and organic to community. It's not it's not between outsiders. Then you have one theory there, but then you have this idea of the post-antagonistic, post-political administrative state, which is which is communal. And you cannot drop the fact that even though part of the reason why Marx and Engels used communism as opposed to socialism was to differentiate themselves from certain French factions in 1848, that choosing communal as the basis and focusing on socialization and communalization and not um just state interference uh intervening is a huge difference and if you're saying well Marx and Engels don't have a concept of community and yet communism literally has it in the term even in german what what do you do with that like but the other thing i think it's in, in, interesting in nancy is like many of the answers to that uh to that form of of thinking historically have been Heideggerian, which is, you know, about 
you know, mutually constructed being mm-hmm. and, uh, and authentic forms of mutually constructed being. And Nancy also seems to glom on that this is also a problem for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, what's interesting in, in a way about Nancy, from what I can tell, is that like he he does come from a somewhat kind of like Doridian, like he's a kind of deconstructivist, you know, like he tries to kind of exhaust terms through their use. Um, and so he has this kind of Doridian investigation of Heidegger in a lot of his work. And there's a lot of Heideggerian kind of like terms. And I think that he, he sort of is someone who approaches Heidegger with this, this thinking of like Heidegger as one of the most profound uh, thinkers of like, you know, the the kind of like existential questions involving community and stuff. And to him, in a way, I feel like he's sort of like starting at Heidegger's point and like rewriting Heidegger's project along the way while trying to see what pushes the concepts as far as possible and what reaches the like creepy stuff in Heidegger through that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he, he, cause, and then he, he also has his connection to uh, Bataille and Bataille is a, a person who had a weird obsession with the concept of community. And so with Heidegger and Bataille, like he, he, he's talking about, you know, the, the concept of like communal beingness is very important, both of them. But he kind of notices that with Bataille, like Bataille's whole conception is specifically that you, that's not actually ever accomplishable. Like the, the limit experience is specifically that like the most you can do is you can reach the point where you can inscribe and say, like, this is the limit of like my capacity to get um, any sort of like communion to someone. Um, and it's not actually, you know, imminent. It's not fulfillable. Um, but he does kind of critique both of them for that. He thinks that if you push this like in a certain way, you end up basically getting an obsessive drive to death, um, ultimately, uh, uh, which he associates with like fascism on the one hand and like Bataille's kind of not so, uh, sacrificial obsession on the other, um, and I mean, I'm not going to say that Nancy's own work really, because like, uh, again, with like the Deridian Frenchy impulse, a lot of his kind of responses is to just be like, we need a conception of community that has no like mandates or like specific goals or aims. It's just kind of fluid. And, you know, like it, he does, it, he, he basically just takes it in this like very negative uh, like direction with no that like claims that like we can somehow just kind of get out of like prescription for anything. Um, and he has this like term, he goes into like literary communism because, you know, literature is the interruption that still ensures communication is possible without ever closing off the conversation. And so it makes communism possible. Cause in his, one of his things that is kind of interesting is he basically says like communism, uh, Community and communication are inherently linked, um, but specifically insofar as communication is the is a never closed process yet that ensures that human beings or like human entities, singular like people are able to acknowledge the common like. Um, 
And I think that's actually somewhat, you know, it, like, again, that's like a very interesting kind of existential like point and that he's kind of saying like the starting point is not, you know, the pure self-making individual, but it's an existential like community, like community-based relationship that cannot have an innate being as a community. It, it's rather that all people within a communal relationship are thrust like you know thrust into the commons as such and need to kind of communicate like that um but he is he is very uh french <laughs> i would say um i've always said that there are kind of like i mean i'm sure there's some analytical tradition too in france so this is kind of outside of that but i always say that you know when you're getting into weird french theory there are two kinds there's the people that write in such a way that you really, really have no idea what they're talking about. And it's kind of puts you to sleep and has you banging your head against the wall. And then there are the ones that you don't really get what they're talking about, but it actually does read as pretty and uh, flows pretty well. I've always liked the second one better, um, even if I wouldn't necessarily say it's going to give you a great political uh, like vantage point. Um, but I've always put people like Bonchot and Nancy into the second category because I think that they, you can like read them and you might get a little frustrated with the lack of like true clarity at what they are getting at and the use of paradox and and stuff. But they are like able to write a sentence that's evocative instead of just being like, what what is this? Yeah. Well, I mean. Um... It's interesting. One of the concepts of communism, the, the 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 literary communism, the literary turn. I think there is both an insight there, but also like a cop out, like oh, you know, turning communism into this literary activity. Which, of course, if you're from the Spanish point of being a, uh, you know, um, post sixty-eight savant intellectual, is really appealing, right? Because it right. makes your world communism. Um, but it also reminds me of Adorno's one of Adorno's late essays, Resignation where he talks about, like, um, due to regression and the working class not, you know, uh, being 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 held a part of the, the authoritarian state, blah, 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 um, that thinking becomes the means, you know, thinking about the problems, thinking becomes its own justification for the dialectical process and thus the process towards socialism, not any material process. And this, to me, seems to be a a weirdly logical endpoint for a lot of these kinds of thinkers. Um, and so I point that out because it's not just Team France that does this. Like I mm -hmm. think, you know, you and I, but you, you know, my love of Adorno. But that that final essay, that essay, resignation, is is mind-bogglingly frustrating, um, and it does seem like. You know, it does actually seem like uh, uh, Lukash was right about that being Hotel Grand Abyss. Um, and this seems to be Hotel Grand Communal. Mm. I mean, um, but what's interesting about post-structuralists that I've always found fascinating is if you study complexity and emergence theory and that sort of thing, um, and sort of what I consider to be the uh, the 
the intellectual, um, the analytic and scientific intellectual, like, secret grandchildren of dialectics in the Marxist sense, right? Um, the, some conclusions about the problems of functionality, um, the problems of intentionality, and the problems of, like, thinking that your your teleological orientation is one thing when you actually can only do another. Um, the the post-structuralist in their weird, airy-fairy, post-Hedegarian way actually do glom onto the same problem, but that, in my mind, instead of working it out, what they do is kind of just like, well, let's just embrace the nebulousness of this. Like... Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, there's a reason, for example, that like some of the people post Nancy and who are not as interested in aesthetics, that's the other thing we should talk about with Nancy is Nancy is specifically interested in aesthetics. Like, mm-hmm. um, like, uh, Delanda, for example, like, um, you know, um, who see what Deleuze and Atari were doing and look at, uh, cybernetic systems and complexity theory and start pairing them together. Um, I think in some ways it actually ended up being kind of right wing, but that's not, that's neither here nor there that there were even people in continental thinking who saw the overlap. I guess another, another example who was super hot like a decade ago, but seems to kind of fallen out of favor is um, what's his face. Uh, Um, this is a problem with doing live streams. Um, he wrote a book on nihilism. He, he was, uh, he was an eliminative materialist. Um, he was one Not of the Brassier. first. Yeah. Brassier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who, who took analytic philosophy and then also the engagement of some analytics like Brandom with uh with with continental philosophy very seriously because there is a sense in which you know someone like nancy probably wouldn't have had a problem with that at all um because nancy seemed super eclectic honestly like i mean i'm also i'm also thinking about the book i remember coming out a few years ago which was i think the deconstruction of christianity and stuff like that i mean you know he's very much in in that same space as a Gombin and a lot of the post Ossesarians who were like concept generators. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. So, so why do you think, uh, I think Nancy's interesting because I, I think 10 years ago, for example, he was still very much in vogue. Um, uh, I don't know if that's still true. And in some ways the resurgence of, um, of Marxism has had a effect of trying to just make the post-Marxists go away or treat them all as if they were all bad faith bourgeois intellectual uh, interlocutors or whatever. And I, I mean, I do think there's some truth that they were of a particular social class at a particular time in a particular context, you know, um, the idea of rock star intellectuals teaching for free at the Sorbonne is is kind of wild, you know, mm-hmm. to the American mind. And there's always been 
in the U.S. in particular, are kind of envy, particularly from academics, which you, which I used to be one, and you are kind of sort of one now, uh, have had. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also, I don't know, what do you make of this? Like, what, what do you make of uh, Nancy's sort of interim popularity in the U.S.? Uh, it's a little bit hard to say. I haven't read as much beyond the couple books he did on community. So I haven't read as much of his stuff. That's like his book on Lacan or his book, his book. That's more of a classic, like Kant Schelling Hegel, or I think like he has some books on, yeah, like sexuality and art and, and things like that. So I haven't read quite as much of his, like, I mean, he's written actually uh, an impressive amount. Um, and and a, a surprisingly wide amount of it has been translated already, given that he only just died, like, into English. Um, but, I, I mean, I think it's partially, you know, just the holdovers, you might say, of the wave of deconstruction in general in into the U.S. and that kind of approach having a place with you know, Derrida and, and to some extent people like Althusser are becoming, becoming just figures of reference within the U.S. academic uh, world. Um, I think that I'm, I think that maybe J. Hillis Miller has written about Nancy somewhat. He might have a book about him or something. I can't remember quite. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I really don't know to what extent he was ever had as much political influence uh, or, or was considered as much of a political kind of figure um, within the U.S., uh, like philosophical, like He seems to be mostly treated as an aesthetic philosopher, like like a philosopher of film theory and a philosopher of of aesthetics and then a deconstruction of, you know, in that Agamben, Blanchot deconstruction of religion and the religious concepts still lingering in Western society. That's how I encountered him. I mean, he was popular amongst European and American academics in Korea when I was a, when I was a mm-hmm. professor there. Um, but I also, and, and similar, and he was also generally, you know, when people would bling up, Nancy, they'd also bring up Blanchot, which I am even less familiar with, and then Agamben, who I'm significantly more familiar with, but also more skeptical of. So it's it's an interesting place for me. I think I think it's interesting, however, how little I read him when because while he's an important deconstructionist, and I remember when I was in college, deconstruction was huge. Like like uh, my the one piece of like serious literary scholarship that I ever did was deconstructing uh, Korean nationalist um, interpretations of the Korean American author and artist uh, Teresa Park Kun Chai, and we also used a lot of like postcolonial and anti-postcolonial theory. Like um, Chivers hadn't written his book yet; that wouldn't come for another ten years, so I couldn't refer to it. But um, we would like season on deconstructed elements and postcolonialist theory and push them to their max. And, you know, that, that was something I did. And yet I never actually was asked to read Nancy. I was always asked to read like Baudrillard or Gombin or uh, Homie Baba or Spivak or 
Um, of course, the bane of my existence, Derrida, um, our Heidegger properly, right. you know, our, our Nietzsche, that sort of thing. Not, not Nancy. Um, so I'm not sure if that was just a product of my department, if that was, you know, the general milieu that Nancy, but was, uh, was very well respected, but not very much used. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about. I also associate Nancy though, with like, uh, LaClau and a lot of those people who I really don't like, um, who I think did damage mm-hmm. to the socialist movement. So in France in particular, in a way that yeah. someone like Baudrillard did not. I was going to say that I think one of the other things that's interesting about the community debate that was mostly Nazi and uh, Blanchot and then Agamben um, had, a, had a book in there too, is that it's kind of happening also within this interaction of like i don't think nancy ever specifically cites him or talks about him but you get the sense that one of his targets is alistair mcintyre and um the other like communitarian is it charles taylor is that yeah charles taylor charles like you get the sense that he's maybe going after figures like that too around the same time that like Mouffe and Laclau are also kind of like staking their claim as like between those guys and like the Rawlsians. Mm-hmm. Um, and admittedly, I actually think that Laclau and Mouffe are best when they're engaged in those debates than anything that they do when they're writing about like political strategy. Um, they're actually pretty good at discussing the problems in like Rawlsian liberal thought. Um, but it, it is interesting that it's kind of happening with that going on to, I mean, this is maybe a little bit before that like really takes off, but it, it, it's kind of in a similar vein because you get the sense that Nancy is Nancy's whole kind of opposition to like this, like working out community through, as like an activity with an end goal. He's also very skeptical of like, he, he basically rejects also that, like he says, like the use of nostalgia for communities lost to establish community in itself. And like community that is founded on a non-existent, like myth is another thing that he attacks. And that, that's like another one of those like French things where it's like the literary communism is literature is the rupture of myth in this ontological blah 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 like it's a weird fluffy concept but he does critique the idea of like the mythological like like the use of mythology as a a, of of a previous pure community to establish community now and he, he tends to i think he takes aim at like people like um uh alistair mcintyre for having this view of you know establishing like a values driven kind of community or something like that. Like a a community that has like enough coherency to like suddenly exist in a like good rational way. You get the feeling that Nancy would like basically say that, uh, the, the, the Aquinian community 
you know, of good Catholics that had a clear understanding of, of communal virtue and could define it and have an ethics that was rational because of their communal relations is based on basically a projection uh, onto the medieval world that never actually existed. Like it's a, it is in some sense for, for someone like Nancy, a literary creation that you're having nostalgia for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it never was that way. Like, and I and, guess one of the things about the deconstructionists that Marxists probably don't like now is they they, they are the people who who take all to stare up on the alienation is always with us, and really will run with it, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, in a way that Marxists both methodologically and and kind of fundamentally can't do, um, you know, um, the idea that. Uh, Alienation is inherent to to consciousness and materiality is something that you know a, a Marxist would have some negative response to. But that's also that's that that is explicit. It's one of the few clear ideas I think, other than the Mara stage in Lacan, um, is uh, is that alienation is a fundamental ground of being. Mm-hmm. You know. Like, yeah, I mean mm-hmm. the. Yeah, like this is work that very much like takes seriously like this concept of uh, existence that is like comes to to kind of understand itself specifically through the alienation from the other. Um, And again, like he's interested in, he's very inspired by Bataille, who like Lacan also like sort of plagiarizes from. Um, Stole his ideas and his wife. Yep. And um, I believe also his sister. Yeah. Uh, um, Lacan should have like, sacrificed his ass. Yeah. Uh, um, no, um, <laughs> anyway. But, um, like, the, because he, because he talk because he takes very seriously, like, how Bataille reflects it, at, like, per, has this concept of, like, part of the common, like, the, the, the being in common like thing is the way that in community you share the realization that like other people like you see other people die and like when you see other people die like you have a sense of your your being and your existence has a sort of non-graspable like almost externalization right um, well you, it is both uh that's a double, like a double, a double recognition. The recognition of self as dependent on, but differentiated from other, and then the recognition mm-hmm. that if other dissolves, so do you. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and Bataille does a lot with that. I mean, it, it, it's one of these things. That the idea seems so simple, you know, and it's implicit in Hegel. Um, actually, I mean, in a lot of ways, but the idea seems so simple that it barely needs to be stated, and yet there is a whole lot of things that come with this idea that individuality is totally dependent on community, almost dialectically, because without community, without other people, there's no one to differentiate yourself from, um, nor to recognize yourself as a human through recognizing yourself in them. And that double move, Hmm. um, that dialectical move in Hegel is what creates the need for consciousness, right? I see others. I realize they are not me. They are like me, 
now I know some of the nature of what I am, and I know, and I that I also know that I am not them, right? And and Lacan and Lacan's like one real, and I think significant and true, actually, and scientifically provable uh, theory was the stuff about that in the Mara stage in babies. Like mm-hmm. babies do not yeah. have a self; they they do not differentiate between themselves and uh, their immediate surrounding people. Um, as they develop a self, they start differentiating themselves from the mother, and they that mirror in the realization of difference and the realization that you know that that mirroring stage is where that happens, right? So, um, and for all of Lacan's critique of Hegel and blah 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 and the psychoanalysis, that is something that's implicit in Hegel that is also worked out in Lacan and it's in, in a truly scientific matter. And I will, you know, everyone knows how I feel about Lacan, but um, it does work that out. And I think, I, I think you're right. That's also all over Bataille. Um, mm-hmm. That's why Bataille is obsessed with, with sex and death. Like, because those are the instances of, of self barrier breaking. Right, like the mm-hmm. the self conception dissolves in the in both those acts um, for Bataille, and um, he sees like a lot of profound drives there. So it makes sense, right? Um, that ironically, uh, community is something that you depend on basically in many ways to avoid death, but it's also your encounter with it, mm-hmm. like. Um, you have to you you by participating in the community. I think Nancy's right about this. Um, you are both trying to survive and ensuring your own survival, but also having to confront the fact that through having to watch others die, at least in communities that are that have not outsourced all that to certain other functions, that you yourself will die, and thus, you know, the purpose of the community. Um, if it's just its purposiveness is just survival where you're confronted by being in the community with the failure of that fact. Like, um, so I think that's, that's interesting. I, I, I have not read enough of Nancy's work on community to see exactly what he does with that, but that's an interesting idea, but it seems like it goes off into like wild aestheticization. Yeah. Um, which I think a lot of this stuff does, if we're honest, like, Definitely. I mean, I mean, he I think he does actually have a very interest. A lot of the initial essay in an operative community is basically a close reading of Bataille. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's actually, I think, pretty interesting, especially the way that he sort of reads it, you know, as or reads it with relation to Bataille being someone who is like. Has a weird relationship to like communism and is watching um you know basically all these like failures play out of the like 20th century um and kind of situating the like political side of his thought into that um and the he doesn't usually talk specifically as much about like the element of you know the concept of excess that uh defines a lot of Bataille's work but i think that it's in there in the way that he that he talks about like community is established, like community it establishes communication, which 
but the like the theory of communication is like an a never enclosed and never like settled theory of communication but one that still enables like singular like persons to exist in common with each other without ever grasping things as pure equivalents um like that's a very kind of like you can see how someone would take like the battalion excess theory like kind of conceptualization and and like how he's kind of taking something very similar um like the these the thing that's ungraspable that always slips out um that cannot be like productively used and yet still seems to define um and ensure the the final product that's not actually final because of the excess um like that kind of theory which i've I've always thought that was even if it's very continental and weird i think that's actually a sort of useful perhaps framework for thinking about like you know you're you're even if you we achieve a very like you know quote unquote like efficient communism whatever that means or something like that question of like maybe like the impetus of communism is not simply to like make the best use out of everything like the most productive like useful use out of everything like like you have to think about the degree to which there are things that will be excessive that will slip out that will be like what like what does waste mean in like the communist setting like like that is part of a question about like things don't you you know even if you're using cybernetics and stuff like I don't think that cybernetics automatically gives you an answer to make, you know, the perfect set of machines where, you know, any waste product just gets like put into the machine that turns it into something useful. And the waste product from that one goes into the machine that makes that something useful. And the waste product from that one, like, I don't think that there's that easy of a like enclosed feedback loop you can make um, to both in terms of thinking like ecologically and about actual production in a material sense, but also like socially, like, I think that the way that social ties and stuff and like being in common happens, I think Nancy and and Bataille have a point about like a sense of wastefulness and unproductiveness is very much in play with like human connection. Um, And it's, something that I think a lot of people struggle with in reading Marx is that he sometimes has it both ways in terms of the emphasis, the emphasis that he sometimes gets from Hegel on like, you know, the, the self-defining activity that like is also social activity in this Mm -hmm. productive and self-productive and productive of kind of like a human essence that like feeds back, but also having this kind of sense of like, but also communism is the ability to be anything and it's super undefined and your being becomes kind of like transgressive and like, you know, the, uh, the early stuff and some of the later stuff, and like even in the Grundrisse, like he, he kind of just goes like, Oh, we'll just say that like play and work somehow negate each other and become something, some other kind of human activity. Like, I, I think that is a, a thing that, isn't dealt with very very well exactly because you encounter people who say that communism is according to marx is just going to be everyone having tons of leisure time and that's it 
Um, and you have the labor chip people who want to turn all society into <laughs> monitored labor. Yeah. Um, and they both have legitimate grounds in Marx. Like, mm -hmm. that's that's the thing. Um, I think Marx's hope is that communism somehow gets you out of that by, like, by example, by making labor life's prime want because it's labor that you do for things you want to do and you're unalienated. But then um, what the Marxists will do is play a game with late Marx um, talking about alienation only having the one function, um, which is the alienated, the alienation from your labor as expanded in capital volume one, um, and ignore everything else in the in, in Marx about that the four other categories of alienation, et cetera, because a lot of those other categories of alienation would not be fixed by some of the labor chip stuff that they, uh, labor chip stuff that they're positing, even in something like cancel communism, if I'm completely honest, like, mm -hmm. Um, and, and saying, oh, well, you know, communism is about production. There's not going to be problems about distribution. That's really not the point. Um, I know that a lot of Marxists found this particularly insightful because it gets you out of the problems of like, well, how do we equally distribute everything? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and Marx realizes that that's somewhat impossible. But to say that you, that everything is focused about the mode of production and the mode of distribution is totally irrelevant is to ignore that one implies the other. Um, that they're in a perpetual feedback loop. And I do think the deconstructionist uh, and the post-Marxist are actually right about some of these tendencies never really being addressed in Marx in a realistic way. They kind of get addressed in Engels and anti-during and when that happens what you have is a text which which exists to say hey there's no unified worldview that we could come up that's transhistorical and would work all the time but also here's how this is true in fundamental nature this transhistorical and it work all the time <laughs> right you know um i mean and this leads to a whole lot of stuff i mean at least to why people want to distance Engels from marx despite the fact you really can't um, it also leads to the fact that, like, you know, the communism that uh, that Nancy and them are are responding to, and that led to to sixty eight, is the French descendant that does have a direct line. People cannot pretend, oh, Euro communism is different. No, it, it it does go back to the first international. There's a line there, and it's direct. Like, it's not all weird, you know, Frenchy people doing Frenchy things with with good German philosophy. Um, and I think what I think is interesting about that is it implies a fundamental incompleteness in both projects. And what I find interesting about the deconstructionists is their answer to this is always kind of weirdly status quo affirming in that it always says like, well, you have to embrace this nebulous whatever concept without any purpose or different uh, our unification mm -hmm. and just kind of linger there conceptually. That's 90 times, like 99 uh, times I've read these kinds of critiques. That's where it goes to. But my point earlier with Adorno is that's not unique to, to the French. A lot of people get in these intellectual cul-de-sacs. Um, mm -hmm. Like, and, and there are tons of them in Marxism. I mean, like, the, the, the other big ones are like, how do you encourage international 
Uzum while also talking about how almost any trade between ethno groups is is imperialism at all, um, except when you don't want it to be because it politically benefits the state. Like these are things that come and people go, well, that's an unfair reading of Marx. I'm like, it is an unfair reading of Marx, but it's how this has been employed. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes out of the fact that this was never reconciled in a clear way. Like we don't have Marx's answer to the national question actually like, anywhere. Um, yeah. Only you know, the Jewish question. Right. Well, we know he supported national liberation, but selectively. Yeah. So, you know, stuff like that. What does this have to do with John Luke Lane? See, I think we are losing a generation of these post-Austusarian 68ers, a lot of whom did get pulled into the sphere of, like, literary post-structuralism, um, but not all of them. I mean, Rancier uh, didn't. Rancier, Rancier, I don't remember. I'm going to yeah. completely butcher all French names. We're just going to accept that. Um, he continued to be the weird French Maoist type guy. Yeah, but but the Maoist who believes in democracy, like true yeah. democracy, right? And then you have Badu who ends up like Platonizing Maoism. And then you have people like Laurel um, who basically say all these people are sneaking their, their uh, politics in by not being deconstructionist enough. We, you know, we need to destroy it. We need to deconstruct philosophy and philosophizing itself. Mm -hmm. um, and that just that seems to be a way to launch a thousand um, academic careers and write right. books. But I don't know that it's clarified much, even though I do think the problems that it's seeing, like that, I feel this about Baudrillard too. Like, you know, I will sometimes say that like Baudrillard is reactionary, but he sees problems that are real. Communists don't really address. It plays out in our failures in politics in a way that we just avoid. And yet the answers seem to be like, if you can't beat them, join them, or if you can't beat them, aestheticize it forever and just don't deal with the fact that you can't do anything with it in the actual mm -hmm. political world. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, Nancy definitely <clears throat> didn't have, like, an illustrious, you know, career as a political actor. Like, he, he would write, you know... He, he was, like, one of those intellectuals who would, like, occasionally, you know, he would write a public piece about, you know... The, the war on terror or something or or the the context of french racism you know that kind of stuff um but and, and i mean he had friendships and relationships with like people like Badu and um he was friends with agamben though even he actually said not to trust agamben on anything to do with covid um because I believe Agamben told him, like, oh, don't get that, you know, heart transplant. <laughs> That's weird biopower or something. And Nancy was like, yeah, I didn't listen to him about that. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, like, he, he's definitely not, you know, going to give you a very great, like, sense of, of practical... Um, involvement on anything but i do i think I, one thing i do appreciate uh that i was I, I wrote it like a very short like blog post just kind of reflecting on how it was odd to me hearing that this guy had died when 
when he was a, a figure that influenced my political trajectory, even though I kind of, I kind of, you know, I guess you could say I outgrew him um, as like a, like a thinker I interacted with very much. It's like, there was a, a interview that I think was translated on, it was posted on Verso. It's probably from somewhere else originally, but um, where he, he, he was just being interviewed and, the guy at one point near the end, Nancy kind of says that he's like trying a lot of his thought is about trying to kind of investigate how you can think about making like making predictions and making ways to like, and and not being afraid to do things, but putting more precedence onto knowing that you're do thing knowing how when you're doing things you're always doing it without really knowing a whole lot um right. and, and the limitations of your vision and the actions that you take which i don't know if i mean ontological a- philosophy is the way that you're you're really going to deal with that but I, I like i think that it's like a valid sentiment for someone of his generation to be encouraging that kind of thinking in, in the writing that he does. I mean, well, you talk about the convergent theories of like what we see in the 20th century, right? And it's not just a post We pretend like it's just a post-structuralist deconstructionist to come to this point. But like I was talking about uh, Boyd in the OODA loop with a general intellect unit um, in, a, in an episode that'll come out probably in a couple, in a couple months. Um, and that loop structurally is a cybernetic loop that has that assertion. You must not just not know. You must not just operate with the idea that you might be wrong. You must operate with the idea that you, you must have suspicion at all times that anything could be two different things. And necessarily you can't know until the encounter what it's going to be, Um, which is both obvious and yet, opposite of the way most socialists try to operate actually like almost entirely um and it's just the same point that people like nancy and baudrillard and stuff are actually hammering home about is you can't know the thing until like the thing until it's dealt with even even uh badu and his stuff about the encounter and a vental and encounter and fidelity to the encounter and all that um, which I find to be an incredibly, like, liter- and when I say idealist, I don't mean it in the communist way. I mean, like, literally idealist in, like, the platonic way. Um, right. Way to, to, to deal with these problems. But I do think, like, there is a sense in which Marxists are, um, particularly right now, because of the trauma of the 20th century for a lot of leftist projects um, are always trying to run away from the unknowability of a lot of these things. And that's why, and I'm going to sound like a fucking conservative, but I think it's true. That's why so many of them run to like really authoritarian, really deterministic, really, uh, really LARPy, but LARPy in a in a way that can give you a lot of hope because it's serving essentially the same function as religion for them, and that it's a it's a it's a uh, terror management mechanism more than it is an actual politics. 
because the unknowability of large, large parts of life and the unknowability of some of the results of the communist project is inherently something that, like when I was mentioning Ingalls and Antidurant, in one sense, Ingalls is saying you can't know the future until you're there, and, and, and you can't have a universal immortal science. And then in another sense, he's actually positing one. The, or definitely what he does gets used as one. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And when you, like, deal with this in its stupid Twitter incarnation, but historically, I mean, like, they're serious intellectuals, and some of these people are, like, professors and stuff at universities now who will talk about science in this way that is basically a kind of political creationism, and this post-structuralism is an anecdote to that. And we also have to remember that a lot of these people are direct descendants of, like, Debates around Althusser and stuff like that, and Althusser very much took this 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 time period of of using that rhetoric. He took it very seriously and sneaks it in. And a lot of people think just because something insists that it is scientific and that it can lead to a kind of certain knowledge that it is actually scientific and can lead to a certain knowledge, which is which is frankly a fucking child's way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So, um. I do find Nancy useful for that, but I don't find the answers to the problems to be particularly persuasive or even serious. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, and I feel like this is often the way that a lot of the continentals go. It's like, well, wouldn't it be cool if everything was what we do? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's definitely like the, my boy, like Bourdieu, when he, he talks about like, you know, like why like why is the base assumption of like all these intellectuals when they talk about art like how it's so powerful because it's this inexpressible like you know like like un- singular thing that has no ties to anything and he's like it's because to operate as an intellectual in the social world like is to try and like be an exemplar of non like being like non-committal to like broader society and to play yourself off as like a singular like autonomous critical figure and so Mm -hmm. anything that is like imbued with value you you imbue it with value as an like academic critic by claiming that it like that that it operates in a similar way to you like that it's this autonomous like singular nebulous thing that has no no like positive like relation to the social except as presenting itself as, like, this critical, like, you know, comment on it. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, and like anything, you know, as I'm sure someone can, can make a claim um, in a different way or say that the sociology of academic behavior has changed or, or anything. Like, I'm not going to claim that one guy automatically gets at the heart of it, Um and like Bourdieu is someone who also was struggling with that relationship in his own work as well. Um, but uh, like, I think that that is, you know, a thing you have to deal with, with a lot of this kind of work. Um, even, even though I think, you know, as we're, we're reaching an hour, uh, I think that the first inoperative community essay 
while fluffy and deconstruction based is not a bad like kind of semi-creative philosophical essay on sort of the fact that defining community is just really hard and a lot of the basic assumptions and about like what community is what makes a good community where community comes from like a lot of it is just not a lot of it's circular actually a lot of it's circular a lot of it is not necessarily even desirable if you like actually kind of like think about it um, a lot of it is based on mythology and I, and as I've said, I, I think that he at least has the virtue of, you know, you might roll your eyes at the amount of times that he uses some poetic paradoxical phrase that just kind of like the X of Y is the Y of X kind of thing. But I think he's actually, uh, you know, like, he he can write a, a, like extensively and not be an absolute chore to read. Like I think you can read the essay and it it, it can actually be pretty pretty fun if you're into kind of letting go and not not trying to make it like an analytical argument. I think you can read it and find it enjoyable, even if it's not like going to lead to conclusions that are super great. Um, because, uh, I mean, I think it's interesting, like you were saying, like, he has a little bit more of a human touch to the deconstruction prose. Um, and I think that he's someone to in, who is interesting to read as someone who, you know, was sick for a large portion of his right, life while he was writing, too. And uh, this this writing is before that period. But I think it's interesting, you know, like... I think that he's he's an interesting person to read as a guy kind of making almost essays out of kind of journalic journalistic questions in their mind almost and you know they might not have great personal answers but sometimes it's interesting to see what you know someone was really thinking about when they when it came to the question of community and that they tried to write something about it extensively um, and the problems they faced with it. I think that's a good place to end up on. Um, and with the suggestion that people go off and read this and thank you for your time, uh, mm -hmm. Patrick, and uh, I hope your listeners enjoy this as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this bonus crossover episode. Our episode on Fragments by Jean Baudrillard should be available within the next week. We always appreciate viewers leaving positive reviews of our podcast on iTunes or their podcatcher. It helps us uh, widen our audience and reach more people. We appreciate your patience, given that the episodes have been a little bit slow. Uh, I've recently just moved to a new country and I'm doing grad school, so I've been juggling that with getting guests and whatnot. But hopefully we'll have a schedule worked out pretty soon as we keep getting through set two. Thank you very much, and we hope you'll join us next time.